Welcome to BC's Corner, Episode 9. Hey everybody, welcome. This is a very special episode of BC's Corner, and I am so glad that you are here. The founding of our country, the United States of America, is a subject of continuous conversation and scrutiny as we continue to perfect our union. One of the defining moments of our country, if not the defining moment, was our founding, which was made official by the adoption of the Declaration of Independence signed by the Second Continental Congress July 4th, 1776. The Broadway hit 1776 The Musical premiered in 1969. This show took audiences behind the closed doors of the Second Continental Congress and let us in on the inner conflict that led to independence. Fast forward to 2022 and a co-production of 1776 The Musical by the Roundabout Theatre Company and American Repertory Theatre jumps from Harvard to Broadway and direct from Broadway embarking on a national tour that just opened its run in Chicago. But there's something different about this show. Our founding fathers are being portrayed by a cast of multiracial and multi-generational women and transgender and non-binary individuals those who were not represented in the Continental Congress. To talk through the show that dared to hijack history is cast member Brooke Simpson. Brooke Simpson is a full-blooded Native American and member of the Halawasaponi tribe. Not only is she an actress, but Brooke Simpson is a recording artist in her own right. As a finalist of The Voice, coming in third, as well as America's Got Talent, coming in fourth, Brooke has worked with artists such as Miley Cyrus, Sia, and more. In this conversation, we discuss how Brooke finds herself in the mosaic of American history, her experience working on the revival of 1776 The Musical, and her continued endeavors to uplift and support her community through her widespread artistry. Let's dive in with Brooke Simpson. How does it feel to be in Chicago? You guys had opening night of the run here last night. How does it feel after all of that energy? Oh my gosh, it feels so good. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. So far, Chicago's crowd is my favorite. Really? Oh my gosh. The energy from the first moment that uh, we stepped on stage was just insane. And I was like, okay, Chi-Town is where it's at. But also, this is the most time I've ever spent in Chicago. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm happy that you're here as well. And in doing preparation for this conversation and preparation to have you on, I, of course, did a deep dive just into who Brooke Simpson is and all things Brooke. (laughs) And I have to say, I've walked away a bit of a fan. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Some would know you because you were on season 13 of The Voice on Team Miley and you were placed in third. You were a finalist on that show. You made it to the end. And I think that that is commendable because I think, you know, what makes a singer different from someone of your caliber is just the amount of pressure that you can withstand and still perform Mm -hmm. at a high level. And so you do The Voice, season 13, and then you go on to America's Got Talent. And I believe that was season 16. And you also were a finalist, I believe, top four on Mm -hmm. America's Got Talent. Yes, research! The difference between those two experiences, like on The Voice, you're going up against singers, you know? And then on America's Got Talent, you're going up against the guy who can breathe fire, the person who thinks they can airbend, the dance troupe from Waukesha. Like, it's other singers, yes, but it's also acrobats. It's dog trainers, but like Olympic dog trainers. It's comedians. (laughs) It's like, it's everything under the sun. 
how do you compete with that? It's insane. But how did you, I would say in contrasting, like how did you navigate those two very, in a way similar because it's reality TV format, but Mm -hmm. two similar but different experiences? And then what were the gifts that you got at the end of that journey? Uh, How did I navigate them? You know, they were both very different experiences. Like The Voice was my first time ever being on a reality TV setting or like a production of that level, but then also to do it with other people who everyone is sharing the exact same passion. You know exactly what you're here to do on this earth and it's to like sing your heart out. So that was really special in that sense. And it, it made bonds grow that are still very tight. A lot of the people from my season of The Voice were still like the best of friends and it's relationships I'll have forever. And America's Got Talent, it was completely different. Like you said, I mean, like it wasn't just people that shared my passion, but it was every passion under the sun that could be categorized as entertainment. But it was so interesting how I was able to learn so much from so many different people, even though like our stories and what we were presenting were so different. And it was also so cool to hear so many different stories um, opposed to ones that were somewhat similar to your own, you know? So very different, but I learned a lot on both. And yeah, experiences I'm very grateful for. And I was looking at some of your performances and I've I've just completely fallen in love with your voice because you not only have a tremendous voice, but I said this to you when you first jumped on on the call is that you truly have something inside of you that you are venturing to share with the world. And I think that's what makes creators creators. It's not just the creation, but then the willingness to go out there and champion it no matter the venue. And I think from The Voice gaining so much exposure, America's Got Talent gaining so much exposure. And then as an independent artist, I mean, you've been releasing music, you've been releasing singles, you've been all over the place. Really, you were at the White House, I believe, last a few weeks ago. And so when you look back on like this last six, seven years of your career, where you've really seen a lot of tremendous growth, is this what you thought it would be? Is this what you expected? Oh, I mean, Little Brook, of course, had completely different ideas of what it would or could look like. I mean, Little Brook had ideas of by now I would be on some jets sipping mimosas with Beyonce and talking about what's our next single that's going to win like 15 Grammys, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I- I'm so grateful for the process. It's it's so interesting, it, especially in this industry as a woman. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like when I was still so young, like in my early 20s, thinking, oh gosh, I'm not 16 anymore. I hope I still look it like fingers crossed or else, you know, it's the graveyard for my career. And the older I get, the more I fall in love with, with who I am as an artist. And if I had gotten the exposure that I so desperately wanted, then one, it wasn't the time, but then also I wouldn't have been ready for it. So it looks so different, but I'm so grateful. And acting has always been something that has been a passion of mine and has always been something that's something I want to explore, but my situations, like my, where I grew up, my high school, it was only a hundred people. So there was no drama department, let alone a football team or anything like that. So, you know, I didn't have those moments like to really start grooming me in that area from a young age. So to have this opportunity now as an an adult, it's just, it it feels so full circle. And also it, it doesn't make me feel inadequate, but more so like an onion where just layers are constantly peeling back and I'm discovering more of myself as a performer. It's really special. And then how would you define your artistic journey? Because like you're a multi-hyphenate, you know, you are a singer, you're a songwriter, you're now, you're an actress, a Broadway caliber actress. How have you become to, to come, you know, 
at one with all of those different things that encompass Brooke Simpson? I still am. I think ultimately, like my goal, you know, for a while was just like, okay, well, I I know how to sing. I I know that'll open doors. So let me just try to be the best singer I can be. And now I just want to be the best creative and the best performer I can be. And not for the sake of sounding the best or, you know, like giving Shakespeare a run for his money. Like, I mean, it, it more so just, I want to change lives through art. Like that's the whole goal. And that's what art is supposed to do. Like, you know what I mean? It's not just something pretty to look at or hear, but it's supposed to be something that challenges you and shakes you and makes your insides like do cartwheels and think like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm have a million questions and I'm feeling a million things. That's exactly what it's supposed to do. And I want to be a vessel for creativity and art to do just that. So yeah, I'm still figuring it out and I'm still navigating it and I'm loving it and soaking it up like a sponge every step of the way. And you've affirmed something that I said on a previous episode. I, I was so lucky to have a conversation with the Devil Wears Prada, the musical. Megan, if you guys haven't listened to that episode, you should go back and listen to it. But I opened up that conversation because on this show, we do a lot of uh, heavier topics. We talk about healthcare, We talk about queer representation, LGBTQ rights, race, affirmative action. And then I love to throw in these conversations that people go like, oh, you're covering musicals now? And I like to say that, you know, theater and performing and artistry, it's not purely entertainment for entertainment's sake, but there is something always being deposited and communicated, whether it is to arouse you, inspire you, or reprimand you, rebuke you, or call you into a greater purpose or greater understanding of the human experience. That is what you do. That is what we do. And so I think that's the the beauty. And I'm so glad that you were able to articulate that without me even prompting yeah. of the beauty of what. Uh, not just theater, but artistry in itself, performing and putting Mm -hmm. what's inside of you out and hoping that someone in what's inside of them latches onto it. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, thank you. What it brought me back to while you were saying that, it made me think of a conversation I was having with our uh, music director and conductor, Ryan Cantwell, when we were going over my solo song from the show 1776. And, you know, especially coming from the world where it's predominantly just singing opposed to the theater of it all, the goal is normally like dynamics and thinking about like the sound and how can we make it grow and make it bigger and make it ooh ah all of these things. And it just took me back to a conversation I had with him where we were breaking down how to, how do I, I'm sorry, I'm also trying to think of like how to word this without giving too many things away because you need to come see the show, honey. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. We just had a powerful conversation about storytelling through a song and how that's not always the riffiest part or the biggest, highest note. Sometimes it's the quietest, most intimate moment that makes this the story is so clear and it is so powerful what I'm learning through music and acting in this whole thing. So yes, I concur, my friend. And as I've mentioned, and as you've mentioned, you were part of the original 2022 Broadway revival of 1776, the musical, which is now embarking on a national tour. And I'll be completely honest with kind of the way I approach looking at this upcoming season of musicals, me and my friend, Beth. Hi, Beth. I love you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> we look at all the shows and it's like, you know, which ones do we really want to see? Like, regardless of whatever I'm doing interviews wise, like, what do we want to see? And in seeing 1776, it wasn't something that I immediately wanted to see or latched on to see. I get it. Yeah. Uh, because it just, it reeked of what the former of this country, if I can put it that way. Exactly. You, know? you just see a purple poster with some numbers on it and you think, oh, old cis white men. Got it. 
Yeah. And so the founding of our country, it's constantly a subject of conversation, especially in the wider cultural discourse. And as we clarify as Americans, as the United States of America, as we clarify our identity and we truly attempt to step into and embody this multiracial, multigendered, multigenerational democracy, Mm -hmm. 1776, the musical, it takes us back to the halls of the Continental Congress of all cis, like you said, white men, mostly wealthy landowners uh, who would ultimately draft and sign the Declaration of of Independence that would then form our nation. And what's unique about this revival, guys who are listening, is that they've taken, you know, like I said, these white, wealthy legacy landowners in most cases as multiracial women transgender and non-binary individuals, and they've completely hijacked history and turned it on its head. My question that I, I really wanted to ask you is how, as a woman, because you you have Indigenous ancestry, proud Indigenous ancestry, I can see it in your earrings. I would love for you to speak more to your, your tribal identity and then what it means for you to portray those who led the, who would then found the country that led to the institutional erasure and subjugation of your heritage, of your culture. Right. You know, that's exactly where my mind went as well when I was reached out to to audition for this show. And honey, we're talking before 2022. We're talking pre-COVID. Wow. In 2019 was when we first had the reading workshop for the show. And some of the faces that you will see at the CIBC theater will like we're there back in 2019, including myself. And some of my first thoughts, just thinking, wow, how are we going to tell this story about the founding fathers where all of these, you know, cis white daddies were trying to create a country where there already was a nation where my ancestors were. But that's actually, it was one of the first things that I wanted to bring up to them too. But that's one of my favorite things about this show. The fact that when you see that curtain open and you see every single face, there's no escaping the fact that all of these people that you see on that stage, people that looked like us were left out of that conversation back then. And you're going to get to see what it would have looked like if we had a seat at that table, which I mean, we should have. So I think it's very powerful. It's challenging, but I think it's something that we need to speak to. And I'm I'm happy to step into those shoes and especially in the role of the courier, someone who is nameless, ultimately voiceless, and there as a reminder of not just what's happening, you know, in these four walls of Continental Congress, but what's happening outside and what they're all fighting for in this room. And it's the reality of that there are lives at stake and there are people that are, lives are being sacrificed out there. Yeah, it's it's powerful and it's a challenge, but I'm I'm so honored to be a part of this. And like you said, I do have indigenous ancestry, but I, I'm full blooded Native American from the Haloasaponi tribe. And as a part of this show, you know, I'm playing the courier and I'm stepping into the shoes of this nameless boy, but also I'm representing myself. I'm Brooke Simpson. And uh, when you see me up there, you'll see me have a medallion on, which actually has been in my family for over 30 years. It's wow. something. Yeah, it's something that my cousin made for my dad. One of the first pieces she made and hand-beaded when she was like 13 years old, made it for him uh, to wear with his regalia, to dance in our powwows. And now I'm wearing it, award on a Broadway stage and now all over the country telling the story. And it's just a reminder of the nation that was already here before America put up its coming soon sign. And a reminder, I always say in my head, Every night before that curtain opens, Ehinglewa, which in Tuslo, which is our native language, it means still here. And that's what I want that piece to play as a reminder. It's like, yes, we're telling these stories. And yes, we are acknowledging indigenous people. And a lot of times when people think of indigenous people, they just think of the resilience, the strength, oh, how, how they, they tried so hard, but we're still here and we're not going anywhere. 
Would you say that's how you've been able to, I don't want to say persevere, but find home in a country that has seemingly rejected you? Is that a piece of that story for you? It is, you know, in a lot of ways, this show feels like a protest in those senses, but it, it brings up a lot of old feelings from growing up as, you know, an indigenous person in this country and things that, you know, you don't realize when you're younger and things that just feel normal and just feel regular. And as you get older and your eyes are opened and we learn so much more of history opposed to what we were just told or the half truths that we were told. And it's, it's a lot. It's a lot to wrestle with, but that's why I choose to see this show almost like as a stance of protest. And like, I, I don't know, I see it as something empowering. That's a beautiful way to put it. Also in preparation to speak with you, I wanted to refresh myself on 1776, the musical, and it dawned on me that I was actually shown bits of this in grade school when we were learning about the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, yeah, the 1972 film. This musical was created back in the 60s, Mm y'all. So then the film in 72, three hours. I sat through three hours of that film. God bless you. God bless me indeed. (laughs) I sat through three hours of that film and it made me excited to see this cast of multiracial, multigenerational, transgender and non-binary people take on this story because then I I was watching it and I remembered a scene specifically because it, it unlocked a core memory for me being a young child. And there is the part where they're going after Thomas Jefferson because the concept of slavery is brought mm-hmm. up and the question of it, it should be established and brought into the union. And I was shown it from the point of view of like, there were good people and like, that was the point of view that I was showing. Not all of them were bad apples. Yeah. And so it was like, we were all good people. And then I, I put myself, because I really believe in a lot of what the show aims to do is to promote empathy. And so looking at another's given circumstances, if I were sitting in your shoes and then watching that film never being mentioned at all, but being that nation that already existed. And that just gave me such an aha kind of perspective moment of just seeing what the show can mean to so many different people of so many different backgrounds. In what way, uh, you've kind of answered this, but how can all people of all varying backgrounds, as we're still on this journey in this country of really defining who we want to be as we move forward, what can they find in a show that was made in the 60s to celebrate a very different form of American patriotism? Mm, wow. Wow. You with the questions. Wow. <laughs> Also, it's so crazy. It's like in this day and age, every once in a while, the word patriot is supposed to be something that means pride for, you know, where you are and who you are and stuff. And it's such a trigger sometimes like, oh, patriotism. That's the thing. When watching this show, there have been so obviously I'm in the show, so I can't exactly watch it myself. But on the moments when I'm not on stage and I'm standing side curtain and I see it and I see the bodies that are on the stage, but this script that's being read. It's so interesting, but I think it's just that looking at the stage and seeing that representation up there. Like last night was such a huge reminder for me of how much representation matters. There was uh, just to share a personal moment. There was a moment when this uh, person came up to me afterwards and told me their name, the tribe they were from, and told me what it meant to see someone that looks like them on stage because of how rarely they see that. And it took me back to thinking about like when I was a little girl and, you know, I'm 
looking at my TV and I'm watching Cher, I'm watching Britney, I'm watching like all these people that are doing exactly what I want to do, but none of them look like me. And I'm just so happy that I didn't take that as a sign. Well, I guess there's not a spot at the table for me. And I hope when people watch this, whatever their dreams or their hopes, or they feel their life purposes, I hope that they look at that stage and they know that there's nothing impossible, like whether it is art or whether it's exactly what we're portraying. Yeah. That's an amazing answer. And then you've kind of hit on it, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but this past November, for the first formal celebration at the White House of Native American History Month, I'm a little surprised it's the first formal, but the first formal, you know, celebration of it, you were there, you were present, you were invited. That's an amazing experience. But then you also partnered with Nike to advertise the N7 collection, honoring and supporting indigenous communities. You kind of hit on it there with being the representation you want to see, but your representation at a very high level, how have you settled into that? How does it feel to have those individuals not only be able to come up to you, but to see you from afar and know that they can aspire. Uh, It's humbling and it's heavy and it's overwhelming because on one hand, I could easily just go into like, but who the heck am I? Like, you know what I mean? Like, ah, no, stop, no. But at the same time, like, I wish, not that I wish I had me, but I wish I had someone that I saw doing exactly what I wanted to do. So as inadequate or as um, whatever the word may be that I'm trying to say right now, as much as that as I might feel, I have no choice. I want to be that for those people, for boys, girls, anyone, indigenous kids all over the world. I want them to look at me and know that anything's possible. And even going to the White House, it it was such an interesting experience because it was such a high honor to be there as an indigenous woman for the first celebration, which again, is crazy as the first celebration. And to be there with the crew of Nike, um, representing their indigenous line, their N7 line. It was really awesome, powerful and empowering, but also at the same time, it it was very interesting because we're there at the, the house of houses on this land that is ours. Our, Our name isn't on the deed, but we know who it belongs to. And, and even, you know, with doing the shows every night for 1776 and in every city, I'll step in front of the stage before the show begins and I'll give a land acknowledgement talking about and honoring the tribal nations that whose land we are on at that theater, wherever we are. And, you know, we go into the specifics to honor every tribal nation, every city we go to. And it's so powerful and empowering to say these tribes names and to do that. But also it's just a reminder that the acknowledgement is just the beginning. Because if you think about it, we acknowledge that this is stolen, finders keepers. However, we love you though. So God bless. You know, it's interesting. So it's it's just the beginning, but steps have to be taken. I want to ask a bit of a clarifying question there. We often have people who um, have opposing views or don't completely understand uh, the other's point of view on the show. And you just mentioned something that many people probably have heard of or have not heard of before with doing land Mm. acknowledgments. What would you describe as the conflict of of that? I don't really think there would be an opposition because I think it's, in a sense, honoring a culture that has been killed off. But why would there be opposition to something like that being done? Well, first of all, it is wonderful. And I'm so happy that it's something that we're doing in every city that we're touring in, but also it's something that theaters are starting to do more often and it's becoming a more regular thing. And I love to see it. But I guess just more so what I was speaking to was that's just the first step though. It's just acknowledging. It's acknowledging that this is stolen land. It's acknowledging that this did belong to these people. It does not any longer. And this is like, for example, I remember when we were preparing and doing 
dramaturgical research as a cast for the show way back in April before we even did the show at the American Repertory Theater at Harvard University last summer. And it was a great experience. But in the preparations for that, we got the opportunity to speak to a lot of Harvard scholars and professors. And it was an honor to get to pick their brain about this research that we were doing. But in that, you know, there were so many mentions of the land and who it belonged to. And I just couldn't help but ask the question, since we know that it does not belong to you, has there any been any conversation about like giving that land back to its rightful owner? And, you know, I got the honest answers and I was so grateful for them. But that's what I mean when I speak to that. It's just more so it's, it's wonderful, but it's just the first step. It's just acknowledging the wrong, but no writing to it. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And thank you for taking a moment there just to explain that a bit further. You've been with the show for a while and you you did it at the American Rep. You have did it now on Broadway and now you're touring it across the country. As we kind of wrap this up, Mm -hmm. why? What makes you want to stick with this show? You know, how I even got involved with this show Diane Paulus, one of our directors, Tony Award-winning directors, honey. Put, she, put, put some respect on it now. Yeah, put honey. some respect on it now. <laughs> and we got to talk the other name, too, because Jeffrey L. Page is just a creative genius, a creative genius director, but also, like, he has worked with Beyonce's creative team for over 12 years, just chef's kiss. We couldn't ask for better directors. Very grateful to be under their direction and to have the opportunity to work with them. But Diane, she saw me on The Voice in 2017 and told herself, I want to keep this indigenous girl in mind for something in the future. What it is, we don't know quite yet. And then 1776 came across her table. She fell in love with the story, had this idea to completely flip it upside down and tell it with voices who were not invited to the table. And that's where it all began. So I'm one, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity, but also I'm so in love with the cast and I'm so in love with the work that we've done every single day. You would think I'd be sick of it by now, but um, (laughs) after being in it, literally, I mean, we've been talking about sit down, John, and we've been piddling and twiddling since 2019 preparing for this. And, you know, COVID put everything on hold for a while, but it's still like an onion that just I feel like Shrek. I keep using that as an example. Sorry. Onions are like (laughs) old. It's like an onion that just keeps unraveling. And I just keep learning more, not only about our history as a country, but about myself as a performer, as an actor. And I'm just, I'm a sponge in every room and just so grateful for this opportunity. You're proof that one thing truly leads to another because in between the voice and this was America's Got Talent and you going out and performing in stadiums across the country, singing the national anthem at basketball games and football games. I will ask this one more question. That 2020 year, I would say that two years where theaters were closed. Mm -hmm. If you were auditioning for anything, you were sending in a self-tape and that was a whole learning curve for a lot of us because we're used to going into a casting office and that's Mm -hmm. a whole nother thing. What was that year like for you and what did you get up to? You know, that was a really, really hard time just because I was already like in a weird place with my music and trying to, I felt like I was kind of in a place I was trying to figure out who I was as an artist. You know, I feel like a lot of artists, like, especially like in the pop world, go through phases where they're leaning a little more towards their influences. Like, oh, I'm a little more Beyonce this week. Oh no, I'm, I'm a little more uh, Tierra Whack this week. Like <laughs> all of these things. But like, I was still trying to discover my sound and who I was. I don't want to emulate my idols. I want to be Brooke. They already have these people, but they don't have a Brooke. And also in the hopes of 1776 starting and my acting career starting and all of these things. And then COVID hit. 
And we got a global pandemic and we're all stuck inside and could not leave the house for the first time in most of our lives. And it, it was really hard. And I went through a, like a creative drought to be completely honest. And I'm sometimes I feel more of a writer than I am a singer. Like I wow. love writing. If I ever lost my voice, I'd still be so in love with music because songwriting is just one of my biggest passions. And in that time I felt so distant from it that it, it was almost as if I like, Oh wow. Remember when I used to be able to do that? I mean, just so disconnected from one of my greatest passions. So it was hard. But also through that waiting, that was when the opportunity for America's Got Talent came across, you know, my door and, you know, just taking a chance in the middle of everything that was happening. And then after AGT had started, I got an opportunity to not only partner with Nike and Seven, but also be a part of their first global campaign. And it was me along with other Native American beacons in like sports and entertainment. And it was just really powerful and honoring to be a part of. And then finally this started. So, but also just to give you a happy note on the writing, since this has started and I'm being introduced to so many different sides of creativity through acting, I've just been so inspired. And now I am not only writing again, but I'm writing more than I ever have even before. Uh, I mean, since our run on Broadway, I was counting the other day. I believe I've written about 25 songs since our run on Broadway, which started last September. But I mean, I'm just telling you that just goes to show how inspired I am. And just every day, my cup is overflowing. We're really witnessing your ascension. And I'm so grateful to have been a part of it. As we now are in a year where it feels like it's full steam ahead, whatever you want is possible, put the pedal to the metal. What are you most looking forward to? I'm most looking forward to possibly, maybe moving to New York City and uh, continuing to discover myself as an actor. Also, I'm looking forward to releasing an album because, honey, I got enough songs for them. Uh, I was about to say that. I'm like, that's a two that's a two CD album. Yes, honey, (laughs) you got enough to narrow down. Uh, And then I'm honestly, I'm just excited for whatever comes next. I feel like in the past, it's always been like, okay, so here's the plan. And now when there has been no plan, it's just I'm just walking through doors as they feel right and just trying to be a vessel wherever I can. So, yeah, I don't know what's next all i know is i'm excited about it brooke simpson the singer the songwriter the artist i know you all want to follow all things brooke simpson now so of course her instagram and latest single are linked in the show notes in 1776 the musical direct from broadway coming to a city near you and hey if you're in chicago like me it will be at the cibc theater until march 12th For more information and to get your tickets, I have left a link also to the show in the show notes. Thank you all for having so much fun with me this week. I'll see you soon. Whoa, whoa, whoa.